Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hi. Hello. You know what I'm here to do? Get you all to sign up to be a greeter. <laughs> Got you there. <laughs> um, also, I just want to thank everybody this last year. Um, this is my first year kind of like organizing that a little bit and uh, took over from Todd, which was big shoes to follow. And um, I just want to thank everybody who uh, signed up this last year. And if you haven't yet signed up to do that, um, or you don't feel like it's your thing, it really could be. Um, I didn't really think it was my thing either um, when they first asked me to do it several years ago. So I'm not really outgoing. I don't like standing up here and talking in a microphone. But um, I'm guaranteeing you right now that if you do it, God blesses you. If you can pull a door open, if you can shake a hand, if you can smile, if you can give somebody a hug, if you can point them to where the restrooms are, the nursery is, the coffee bar, you're, you're overqualified. So <laughs> um, their sign-up sheet is back there in the little half-round table back there, and just love to see you sign up at one point this next year. Thanks, and Happy New Year. We, we have a seat here, Ken. <laughs> so you're you're getting people to sign up to be to be greeters. Is there uh, what if what if somebody says, well, I'd like to be a greeter, but I'm a teenager and I don't know if teenagers can can sign up to be greeters. Could a, could a teenager sign up to be a greeter? Teenagers have and teenagers could be a greeter. Excellent. So, yeah. What if what if a kid was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe maybe you know. I'm not even a teenager yet, but maybe, like, could a, could a kid sign up? I think if they worked with an adult or a parent or another teen or something, I think that would be fine. So maybe, like, there'd yeah. be some kids that would be like, hey, mom, hey, dad, we could, we should sign up. And Absolutely. A family greeting team would be huh. awesome. Okay. Well, yeah. these are just interesting thoughts that occur to me from time to time. So. I like it. Thank you. Uh, by the way, children are free to go to Children's Church. I saw the slide there for a moment, and uh, I think kids left. So they, they are paying attention. All right, Ken, so you're, you're Mr. Greeter. You're Mr. Greeter. Uh, so I, I have been thinking about you, and I've been thinking about how uh, you come to church ready to serve. Will you talk about like some of the other places that you serve in the church? What are some of the other things that you do that, I, I know that you're all over this place, so what else do you do? Um, food bank, quite a bit, um, mm -hmm. do that, and then there, we serve community dinners from time to time, um, done quite a few, like, work and witness mission trips, um, or when we have, like, serve Sundays, um, just things like that in the community, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So if anybody needs a hand and I'm available, I'd like to help. Yeah. For sure, I know that about you, that, that you're, you're like helping your neighbors and, and things like that. In fact, on Serve Sunday, wasn't it one of your neighbors that we went in? What, what, how did you find out about that? And like, what so for almost all this stuff, I have to blame my wife. <laughs> um, so, and it's not necessarily her. It's, I think it's the Holy Spirit speaking through, to her, through her, and then that like, eventually gets to me. Finally, I pay attention. Um, we have a neighbor who, um, great lady with a couple kids, no man in the house right now, and 
Um, just really the house and yard and things like that have kind of fallen in disrepair. And so it looked just like an opportunity for us to go and do some stuff that we, I mean, this is exactly what Serve Sunday is about. And that's kind of what we did is just jump in and, and knocked out a whole bunch of little projects. And she was super appreciative. That's awesome. So, and, uh, and I know that your motivation in doing it was that this was kind of an eyesore on your block and you wanted to raise your own property values. So that wasn't your motivation? I mean, I like places looking nice. I yeah. like yards that look good. So, I mean, <laughs> it was definitely not a bad thing. <laughs> I'm teasing that. I know, though, that uh, you do... that. You do so much in the church, and, and then you bring people to work in your neighborhood and help, help your neighbors, and then you've taken people to Honduras to help in Honduras. Uh, how, how is it that you're able to, to make your faith about more than just what you do at church? Like how, uh, give, me, give me like some day-by-day, day, like on a tomorrow your faith isn't going to end because it's not Sunday anymore. What, what's it going to look like tomorrow? So I guess I've just kind of gotten in the habit, try to make it a habit anyway, of uh, each day when I get up, I get up super early. If anybody who knows me, I get up, it's pretty much the middle of the night, you guys. It's like three in the morning. So to go to work and um, as I'm making coffee or making my lunch and just kind of getting ready for the day, the grind that is work or whatever, I... Also, you know, caffeine really, you need that to get you going too, but um, I kind of just start talking to God right right away first thing in the morning and help me kind of mentally prepare for the day and, and prepare for whatever obstacles are going to happen at work, because I don't know. Sometimes I do know, and so I really have to pray hard because I know what I'm facing, but other days it's a total surprise, so I, it just helps get your mind right for the day, and if you can do that every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. Then what what does your faith look like at work? I mean, I assume that means that you take your Bible and you're just like, you need to read your Bible more. To all I think we co-workers. talked about that. I don't whack anybody <laughs> over the head with a Bible. Um, but I, I work in a highly uh, secularized, I guess, manufacturing environment, um, like a lot of you guys, people do. Um, and invariably every Monday or Tuesday, you know, people are at work together in the morning or they're at break or lunch and, hey, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you know, and there's always, well, I smoked a brisket or Mm -hmm. I went and hung out with my friends at the river or, you know, there's always the different, I binged uh, shows on Netflix, whatever. And I'm not saying I don't do any of that stuff, but a lot of times just because of of my and Gina's life, it's, uh, well, we helped out at a, our church's food bank on Friday night, and I don't, I don't do it to sound boastful or proud, but it's, that, those experiences like that have blessed me so much that I can't wait to share them with other people, because you meet some of the greatest people, and you get to, you get to have some of these experiences and stories, um, to share with other people later, so, um, people ask, like, I took, I've gone on th- uh, three or four work and witness trips, and you take one or two or sometimes three weeks off from work, people want to know what you do did when you come back. 
You know, because a lot of people, oh, we went to Hawaii, or, you know, we, you know, and that's nothing wrong with that. But when you come back and say, well, I sweated my hind end off for two <laughs> weeks in a, you know, tropical climate somewhere, and we built this school or whatever, you know, and they're, people are just amazed. And that's something that I, I wouldn't have done 10 or 15 years ago either, but Again, I have to blame Gina for that one, too. She's like, doesn't this sound like fun? And I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but the first time we went, she was right. It's fun, and it's a blessing, and it's amazing. So, And it's, again, it's just fun to share those experiences and pictures and um, with people when you get back. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for being our head greeter, yeah. and uh, thank you for for living your faith day in and day out, integrating your faith into to everything you do. I really appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Ken Detman a hand. Well, uh, this morning I'm looking at Luke chapter 11. It's an interesting chapter to be in, uh, sort of at random. I, I want to uh, begin, though, as you're, as you're turning in your Bible and finding Luke chapter 11, I have just a few quick announcements that I need to make. One announcement I, I get to make, need to make, we, uh, Alyssa and I have been here for two years. It'll be two years at the beginning of February. And so we, uh, in, in the process of being your pastor, the, the process of the Church of the Nazarene, after two years, the board gets together and uh, has an opportunity to have a review with us and the district superintendent will come. And so that will happen on January 22nd, which is two weeks from today. Uh, Dave Mori, our district superintendent, will be here on Sunday morning and he'll be preaching. And then in the afternoon, he'll meet with our board and, and we'll have that review time. And so wanted to make you aware that was happening. I'd remind you also that every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. I pray with whoever will show up via Zoom and we send out those invitations to our prayer list. So if you're on our prayer list, you should receive those invitations and you're welcome to join. If you're not receiving them and you'd like to, contact the church office and we'll make sure you get on the prayer list so that you can be a part of that. Well, the new year has begun. We're officially here. Last Sunday was the first of the year, and so it was kind of a weird, weird Sunday, I, I thought. So this is kind of like the official beginning of, of the church year, or the year in church. And so I'm starting a new sermon series today. Uh, this sermon series will go through the first half of, of February, and then when we hit Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent, we'll be doing something different for, for the 40 days leading up to Easter. But this, uh, this is a series that deals with, with some of the things that form who we are and form, form our, the, the, the part of us that is deeper than what we can see. As churchgoers, as believers, we, we agree that there is something deeper in us than what we see that has a profound effect on who we are and how we behave and how we interact with the world. Some people will call this deeper part their heart or their gut or their will. And those are all actually biblical words that are used for this deeper part of us. Sometimes in, in the Bible, it's talked about as our spirit. It's our spirit that is that deeper part of us, that part we can't see, but we know that it has some influence on the decisions we make and the way we live our lives day in and out. 
And so regardless of, of what you call that deeper part, it, it drives us and, and it holds a deeper level of control over us than oftentimes we are aware of. Uh, the author, Dallas Willard, he, he says in, uh, in the book that we're going through on Wednesday nights, Renovation of the Heart, he says, our life and how we find the world now and in the future is almost totally a simple result of what we have become in the depths of our being, in our spirit, will, or heart. He says that the way, the way we are and the way we perceive the world is all a result of that deeper part of us. There is something within us that, that is, is driving how we see the world and how we see ourselves and how we react to the world. And, and so that, that deeper part, I believe, is not static. It is not staying the same. It is not the same today as it was yesterday, and it's certainly not the same uh, today as it was 10 years ago. Ken talked about how 10 years ago it didn't sound like fun to go to Honduras and sweat and, and stack blocks. And now it sounds kind of fun. It, that inner part of him has been changed by that experience. One of my philosophy professors in seminary, he began, he began his class with this line. He, he said, those who are, are least aware of their philosophical understanding of the world are most controlled by it. Those who are least aware of their deepest held beliefs, least aware of their, of their deepest, deepest reactions to the world, those people are most controlled by those, those deeply held beliefs. And so I combine the, the, the idea of the spirit that, that tells us how we interact and who we are with the world and, and this idea that, that we are most controlled by the things we are least aware of to to um, to say that we are we are being formed whether we whether we recognize it or not whether we admit it or not we are being formed day in and day out we are being formed in the innermost part of our being and and we can be intentional about how we are forming the innermost part of our being the part that controls how we view ourselves and how we react to the world or we can let it happen. We can let it happen and, and whatever movies we watch and people we hang out with and whatever, whatever we allow into our mind, it'll just form us. It will do it. Whether we are aware of it or not, it will have a forming effect on our hearts and on our minds. And, and so the, the truth is the way we spend our time forms us. Like it or not, you are probably like the people you work with. And, and the more you are aware of how much the people you work with are forming you, the, the more you can control how they form you or don't form you. The more you are aware of how what you view on, on social media or what movies and TVs you watch, the more you are aware of how those things form you, the more you can control how they form you, for the better or for the worse. And so the idea behind this sermon series is that many of our habits have a, a more powerful effect on, on who we are becoming than we realize. Many of our habits have, have things we do intentionally or unintentionally uh, can be destructive to our souls. And so I want to look at some of the, the ways that we are unintentionally harming the, the formation of our spirit. And I want to try to give some antidotes 
to, to those unintentional ways that we are harming our spirits. And so the, the um, sermon series is spiritual deformation. This, these ways that we, we, be, we, we have become deformed by, by unintentional, very often, habits and, and uh, activities. So this week, uh, this week I, I started thinking about when I started out as a pastor, when I, when I graduated from seminary, I was a complete mess. Um, and not many things have changed, but one area has, has changed considerably. When I started out as a pastor, I, I walked into a beautiful church building that had a huge pastor's study. It was wonderful. I had a, a whole bank of cabinets behind my desk and a big, beautiful desk and a whole, a whole wall full of bookshelves behind my desk. It was wonderful. And I got in and I got organized right away and put, put books up. And, you know, I had enough books after graduating from seminary to fill a third of the shelves. And I was, I was in my study and I was pastor. And I began to do what what came naturally to me, which was I had a couple of boxes on my desk, like an inbox and an outbox, I guess, maybe, but I just started putting papers in there, and, you know, I'd get an interesting piece of mail and not open it and put it in there, and, and then pretty soon those were too full, and so the stacks started to, to gather around my desk, and pretty soon I, I was down to, like, enough room for a keyboard on my desk, and my monitor still stood above the, the pop cans that were gathering, and then behind me on that counter, I had, you know, a stack from that interesting book I had read, and then some more papers from a cool conference I had attended, and then there was another stack for unopened mail here, and there were some things that I was thinking about working on someday here, and some things that I never wanted to work on, and they were there too. And, and I started to, to have this clutter and this mess and it just seemed like, oh, you know, I'm so busy. It's just the natural outcome of being a really busy person. You just, you know, the, the, the pig pen effect follows you where, where you go. And all of that pretty much stayed the same in, until a day when I had two meetings in one day. And uh, I had two meetings in one day. One was in Yakima, Washington, and the other was in Spokane. And so I drove to the meeting in Yakima, and it was at a big church in Yakima. And I asked uh, the pastor there, do you have just a little corner somewhere that I can sneak away and show up to my other meeting, call into my other meeting, and, uh, and attend that meeting for a little while? And, and he showed me, the, the pastor of this big church showed me into, into his office. And, and it, was, it was spick and span. I wondered where he kept his collection of empty Coke cans. He, he didn't have a single pile of unopened mail anywhere. He didn't, he didn't have any papers out of place. His bookshelves were, were immaculate. They, they were beautiful. And, and I got to thinking, well, this guy's got to be busier than me. And here he is, clean. How, how could I... How could, how could I make my office look like this? Because this actually looks a lot nicer than the pig, pig pen that my office had become. So I started from that moment on, I, I started filing things. And uh, I started every, every piece of mail got a file folder then. 
and it would just go into the, P, into the file folder of mail needing to, to be opened. Or uh, every, every great project that I started working on, I, I put into a file, and I created a file for, for those conferences that maybe I would go back to that information. And I've, I found ways to, to file for, for board meetings and for, for all my district responsibilities and everything that I was doing, I had a file for everything. And, and I'm probably not as organized now as I was in the immediate days after my organization revolution, but I, I still love my files. If you come into my office, I'll show you. I, have, I don't have as many these days. I, I have a lot more on my computer filed away very neatly, mind you. But I, I, have, I have a file system. When board meeting time comes, I pull out the file because that's where the board meeting information is. When, when I'm working on my sermon, I pull out the, the legal pad and the Bible and my computer where the other files are, and that's my sermon stuff. And I love my file system. It makes me so happy. It just makes my heart sing when I look at my files and realize how wonderfully organized I am. <sighs> so a file system is, is a great way to organize work. It's a great way to organize at home. We, we have a beautiful file system at home as well. It's wonderful. Uh, it's mostly a stack of things to be filed, but when they're filed, oh man, it's wonderful. Uh, the reality is that while, while a file system works wonderfully in the office, it works great for dealing with the business of home, in life, a filing system doesn't really work. And this week, we're looking at a habit that many of us inadvertently, sometimes on purpose though, many of us think of our lives in terms of the different files that we have, the different compartments where, where life lit, lurks. We have, we have that work part of us that goes to work and, and is, is doing work things and, and is at work. And that part, maybe it, it bleeds over, but not really into that home part of us. And we have that home box that we, we go into and we are this person at, at home. And then we have the hobby that we're involved in. And, and that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the, the work or the the home stuff. In fact, we don't want those people to know what we do for a living because they might think differently of us. And, and then we have that other, other box about that, that we go to, maybe a church box where, where we are a certain way at church. And, and so I, I'm calling this deforming practice the practice of boxy faith. Boxy faith is faith that fits in one or two of the boxes of our lives but doesn't fit into all of the boxes. Maybe we have a few carefully selected religious acceptable boxes that we allow our faith to enter into, but the other boxes, you know, God can stay out of those. There are, there are a number of examples of boxy faith in the Bible. I, in the Old Testament, we see boxy faith a lot in the people of Israel. The people of Israel get called to account by the prophets over and over again for their boxy faith. And usually it sounds like, like Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6 is a, is a passage where the prophet Micah uh, talks about all of the religious things that are happening in Israel. They're, they're doing all of these great and wonderful sacrificial things. They're, they're bringing rivers of oil to the, to the sanctuary and offering bulls and rams. And, and Micah says, but do you know what the Lord wants? This is what the Lord wants. He doesn't want all of those sacrifices. In, in another passage, another prophet says, I detest your sacrifices 
Micah teaches us that what the Lord wants is for us to, to do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. There, there are a number of examples that I think of in the New Testament as well of boxy faith. I, I think of Peter often in terms of boxy faith. He, he received a vision from God telling him that nothing is unclean, and he began immediately eating meals with Gentile believers. Uh, then we learn just a, a few, well, we don't know the time period, a while later in his life, He's, he is around Jewish Christians who say, no, 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 we, we can't be hanging out with Gentile believers. And he begins, or he stops eating with, with Gentile believers because he doesn't want to, to be out of, out of uh, alignment with those, those Jewish Christians. And, and I believe that there are a couple of types of, of boxy faith, really. I, th I think there is the unintentional boxy faith. I, I think there are genuinely areas in our lives where we don't realize, we have just allowed our habits to continue on. Now, we don't realize maybe God has something more for us in that area of our lives. We, we just genuinely don't see how God could enter into those particular places. We all have areas in our lives that God has not shaped yet. However, I also know, because I've personally lived it, an intentional boxy faith, a faith that says, yes, God can have the church part and maybe the home part, but not all the other parts. God doesn't need all those other parts. Heavens no. What would be the price to pay if God had control of all those other parts? And so the example, though, that I'm taking you to of boxy faith in, in Luke is, this is a long passage, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to begin in verse 37 and just read a few verses. Jesus interacts with a Pharisee, and, and the Pharisees are, they might be the, the patron saints of boxy faith. They're, they're people who have it all together, it seems. They, they have this faith life that seems so profoundly impacted by God. But as we, we read Jesus' words to the Pharisees, we see that it isn't a faith that goes very deep. So in verse 37, Luke eleven thirty-seven, we read, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you? For you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Just as a reminder, the Pharisee who has invited Jesus over for, for a meal 
the Pharisees were the ones who appear to have all of their ducks in order, religiously speaking. They, they appear to be perfectly good religious people. Uh, they, they do all of the proper religious things. Jesus says you even give a tithe from your herb garden. That's, that's seriously good religion practicing there, according to, to Jesus' peers. Uh, Pastor Bill Carr said on Wednesday night in our, in our Wednesday night study that a Pharisee would be a perfect board member. He would be the first person nominated to be, to be a church leader. And uh, the, the, the Pharisees appear to have it all together. But Jesus' primary complaint against them is that their, their uh, religious appearance is only skin deep. It doesn't actually go down to their hearts. They've ignored the matters that get into their hearts. They've been careful to keep from religion getting deep inside of themselves. And his imagery of washing the outside of the cup and the dish, that's, that's really powerful imagery, isn't it? They look good up on the shelves, but looking good up on the shelf isn't the purpose of a cup. We want to use the cups in our house for drinking out of. And, and if you pull a good-looking on the outside cup out and you look inside and it's gross, it's not serving its purpose. Jesus says to the, the Pharisees that you're not serving your purpose. You're not doing what you are created to do. He says they are like hidden graves in a field. This is really interesting imagery to think about. Think about a, a park-like setting. People are walking through saying, oh, isn't it beautiful? And just under the surface is, is a rotting body. The Pharisees look so nice on the outside. They look so wonderful and, and put together. And just under the surface, just under the surface, hidden graves. That's a, that's a pretty powerful image of, of rotting away. And it's interesting that the major issue that Jesus highlights as true inner religion is the issue of giving to the poor. And this is a biblical theme that the, the way we treat the poor and the unimportant in our society, it matters to God. I think back to Micah 6, 8. Uh, don't you know that what the Lord requires of you to do justice, love mercy, and, and walk humbly with your God? That is directed at people who look good religiously. People who look good religiously but aren't seeking the best for those who have the least power and authority and say in society. Jesus' own teaching in Matthew 25 about uh, the, the final judgment, he, he tells us that our treatment of the hungry and the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned, and the sick are the ways that we will be judged ultimately. The, that's the criteria. And so I don't think it's any surprise that Jesus addresses these, these types of issues directly when he condemns the Pharisee. These are heart issues. The way we treat people who can't repay us is a heart issue. And, and that's really, I think, what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, we, when, when we treat people who can't repay us well, uh, we, we reveal that our, our motives aren't mixed, right? Our motives aren't mixed when, when we... We treat poor people well. When we treat people who, who aren't receiving, uh, that we aren't receiving a benefit from our relationship with them well. See, the Pharisee invited Jesus over, and I, I imagine the, the Pharisee saw something to gain from inviting Jesus over. 
the beginning of the passage, Jesus is speaking. Uh, he was speaking around. He was, he was talking. Uh, he was gathering crowds. People were coming to listen to him. He was a star on the rise. So the Pharisee invited him over. I don't know if maybe he was hoping to cash in on some of Jesus's popularity. Maybe, maybe he thought he could get in with the inner circle. Or we know that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. And so it's very possible that he thought, if I have Jesus into my home, surely I can trip him up somehow. And then I'll look really good in front of my Pharisee friends uh, that I finally put a stop to this guy, Jesus. It, we, we can imagine uh, that, that the Pharisee stood to gain some sort of political capital by inviting Jesus over. And when we only clean the outside of the cup, we tend to see people for what they are worth to us. We consider, what is the return on investment in this relationship? When we're only cleaning the outside of the cup, when, when we're not allowing the Lord to, to speak to our hearts, we, uh, we see people for, for their value to us and, and not much else. And it takes truly authentic transformation in order to not see people that way. I believe this, this is the basic human default way of seeing other people. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul uh, says that as, as believers, we, we value people because Jesus died for them. In, in fact, we, we value everyone in the world Everyone is valuable because Jesus died for all of them. And he says in that passage, we no longer view people from a merely human point of view. Uh, and so the, the Pharisee in Luke 11, he, he gets his chops busted by Jesus for, for washing the outside of the cup without cleaning the inside. He, he, gets, he gets called on the carpet because he is looking at people for the value that they give to his life rather than seeing people from, from the Lord's perspective, worthy because Jesus died for them. And I think this passage calls us, calls us to look uh, at, at our own blind spots, to, to look at the relationships that we are viewing from a merely human perspective, look at the places in our lives where, where we see people for the value that they bring into our lives, rather than seeing other people as, as folks that, Jesus died for, just like me, worthy of, of honor and dignity and respect, worthy of care, worthy of my time, even if I'm not getting anything out of the time for myself. I think it calls us to look at other blind spots in our lives. What, what, what relationships do we have that, that aren't honoring to God? What are, what are the places in our, in our lives that we think, well, Jesus doesn't really need to be a part of that piece of my life? What are, what are the places where, where we think about what it might cost us if we were to give over that part of our lives to Jesus? Are there, are there parts of our personal finance or business that we, we try to keep away from, from the Lord? Can God get a foothold in our workplace or at school because of us? Or if he were to get a foothold, would it be in spite of us? And, and I think that honest reflection is really important for us in this area. We, we need to reflect carefully on, 
on our lives and the areas that we are allowing the Lord to, to have influence through us, the areas that we're allowing the Lord to, to be seen through us and, and speak through us, and the areas that maybe we, we withdraw that part of us that is our faith from, from specific relationships. I'd remind you that as we do this, as we, as we do this soul searching, we also have an enemy to, to our souls. We, we have an enemy that its strategy, the strategy of the enemy is to lie to us. The strategy of the enemy of our souls is, is to tell us, you know, God doesn't really care how you act in that relationship. The strategy of the enemy of our soul is, is to get us to think, just imagine what it would cost you if you were to act like a Christian in that situation. And those lies, they, they trick us. They trick us into thinking that maybe we are better off not allowing the Lord into every area. Not even allowing God to, to have influence in, in every spot in our lives. And those lies keep us in, in boxy faith. Faith that only, only stays in in the pre-approved religious okay areas of our lives. The antidote to this is, is integration. The antidote to this is allowing the Lord, obviously, into all of those, all of those places. Being the, the same person at church and at home and at work and at the store and when we're happily visiting with a friend, and when we're not so happily visiting with customer service about that bill that was way more than it was supposed to be. And I invited Ken uh, to help me with the beginning of this sermon because I see in Ken as an example of someone who has integrated his faith into his life. Uh, Ken, Ken and I get together and pray for one another pretty frequently, and I get to hear about how, how Ken is, is at work uh, helping a couple of ladies that he helps every week with their yard, whether they're able to compensate him or not. Um, Ken, Ken's prayer and attitude before he goes to work is, is such a clear picture of what it looks like to integrate our faith into every, every area. A, a man who, who pauses to think, Lord, where, where are you going to be at work today? Where, where am I going to need your grace today? Ken's service in his church, too, reveals a man who, who continues to live the same way in, in every area of his life. He, he serves here at church. Um, he doesn't come to church saying, oh man, I've given so much. He, he continues to give even when he's here. And that kind of integration, it, it takes help. Ken hasn't arrived on this all on his own. He is a spectacular man, and he can go a long way all on his own, but he has arrived to, to a point of, of starting his day with the Lord's help because he has asked God to form him to be that kind of person. He, he's opened his heart week after week and day after day to, to God's movement. We need God's work in us, transforming us, to allow us to see every area of our lives as an area that, that Jesus could move in, Jesus could do something more powerful and, and greater than what we would ever do on our own if we were left to our own devices. And so today I'm, I'm going to invite you to, to invite the Lord to, 
to examine your heart, to search your heart and, and to look at the different boxes that you live in, to look at your file system, to, to thumb through and, and see, here's an area that, that maybe isn't completely given over. Or, or maybe to, to celebrate the areas that God is getting victory and, and God is at, at work. We're, we're going to take communion, and in communion, we believe there is grace for us. This is a physical reminder of the grace of Jesus available to us. As we take communion, we take in his power to, to transform us and shape us. We take in his power to, to examine ourselves and, and to do something new in us. So I'm going to invite the worship team now to, to come and our servers to come. And uh, we're going to have, we're going to sing a song and we're going to receive the elements. Uh, I'd invite you to receive the elements if you'd like to receive the elements to communion. In our church, you don't need to be a member of the church to, to receive communion. So I invite anybody who, who is seeking Jesus to receive the elements to communion and hold them. Hold on to them. And after we've sung, I will come back and, and uh, we'll be served this meal.